Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the composer for Avengers Endgame, Alan Silvestri. Followed by Will Mavity's interview with the visual effects supervisor Sam. for Avengers Endgame, Dan DeLeo. Hey, Miss Potts. If you find this recording, don't feel bad about this. Part of the journey is the end. Just for the record, being adrift in space with zero promise of rescue is more fun than it sounds. Food and water ran out four days ago. Oxygen will run out tomorrow morning. Be it. When I drift off, I will dream about you. It's always you. Hey everyone, this is Daniel Howitt, and I'm here with Alan Silvestri, Oscar-nominated composer of Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, The Avengers, and of course, this year's modest little hit, Avengers Endgame. Thanks for joining with us today. A pleasure to be here. So the Marvel movies are are notoriously secretive. A- actors have talked about not even knowing the full plot of the movie as they're filming it. Uh, so I'm curious, is was it the same for you as you as you started your, your process scoring Avengers Endgame? You know, in a sense, um, they 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 have to let me in on the secret. Sure. Um, because the score has to have a, a, a sense of overview. Um, and I'm actually getting the film because I have to work to the actual film. So it's it's a it's a. A very high-level security event, mm. um, but I do have to see the film as it's being made in real time in order to be able to do my work. And uh, it's a very interesting, in a sense, privileged position <laughs> to kind of know where this is all heading. Right. And can you tell me what it's like working with the Rousseau brothers? What's what's your relationship like? How involved are they in the process with you? Well, Joe and Anthony, we met on Infinity War, um, and so when we got to Endgame, we had already been through this process together. Mm-hmm. Um, they were spectacular. I mean, there's so much pressure on these guys. Yeah. Um, with the sheer magnitude of the films, um, not to mention the uh, the anticipation and expectation of the fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, they were, they were amazing in their ability to kind of be adventurous and, and to explore things, try things, and above all, to be supportive to me um, in what I had to bring to the project. So, it was just a spectacular experience of working with directors. Um, they, they, they gave me everything I could have dreamed of in order to uh, do my work. 
You, you mentioned the expectations that were placed on this film. Obviously, Infinity War was huge. The, all the Marvel movies are. Do you feel that expectation yourself? Um, you know, you, you scored, of course, the, the iconic Avengers theme, you know, a few years ago. D- does that expectation, uh, do you feel that at all? I absolutely do. I, I um, you know, you have to, you have to somehow compartmentalize a little bit. Mm. Um, it, it happens naturally, uh, I think. It's certainly in my case, because there's so much work that needs to be done. Yeah. And it seems like there's never going to be enough time in which to do it. So you kind of have this natural way of getting past a certain level of fear because in some way, you just don't have time for that. Um, but, you know, in the moments of silence, in the middle of the night or whenever, <laughs> y- you know, <laughs> this will pop into your mind now and again, and you get a little tremor. Yeah. Uh, of, yeah. God, the, the sheer size and scope of what this is, is almost too much to think about. Sure. This film tackles so many different tones. Uh, as you talked about, it's, such a, it's a grand film, epic film. Uh, it's also really tragic and emotional, uh, probably more so than we've seen in any other Marvel film. It's also a time travel movie and a heist film. Uh, how, do you, how did you balance all of those themes, keeping it consistent while still playing in these different genres almost? Well, you know, there were some fun opportunities um, because of all of these places that you describe. So when we're in um, the heist mode, mm-hmm. we're, we're tipping our hat to the heist genre, but we're also floating on top of those elements. Um, for instance, the Tesseract theme yeah. from the original uh, Captain America um, because it's one of the stones. And so there are all these fun uh, possibilities for unifying. And that was one of the big missions, uh, certainly in Endgame, was how do we, how do we not um, start to let this feel too episodic mm. and to feel like we have just too many characters to try to first of all, include, and then, uh, you know, the challenge of doing justice. Um, you can't just have a walk-on from a famous character. Right. I, th- I think Joe and Anthony were brilliant, and the writers, um, in the way they found that right balance between um, bringing all of these characters in and, and treating them respectfully, if you will. Were there any specific inspirations in those different uh, genres that you kind of touched on? Uh, you know, the, the heist, the heist sequence ha- has a really kind of bouncy, fun, uh, fun theme throughout. Uh, was there anything that really inspired that section? Well, you know, again, the, the rhythm aspect of it was very reminiscent of old, you know, caper um, yeah. music, old spy music. But the thematic material... Um, could be our Avengers theme, um, just kind of living alongside of it. So, 
you know that that's a perfect example where we can do we can we can mix the genres and the elements in a fun way and because it's all generated from the avengers it all has a kind of unified sensibility to it and and similarly that this movie doesn't simply reference the events of previous Marvel films, it literally places us inside the events of those films from Thor The Dark World and Guardians of the Galaxy and, and The Avengers. Um, how did you right. use your score to kind of bring us back into the worlds of those films? Well, you know, we're, we're, um, we're always trying to guard against um, fragmentation, and, and Joe and Anthony were very clear about that. Um, they kept saying, score's got to unify us. It's got to make this feel like one film. Um, and so, you know, you have all of these obligations that you have to pay attention to. Um, but at the same time, tonally, we're trying to, to unify rather than separate things. Uh, it was a big challenge, and not just for me, for the mm. filmmakers, a huge challenge to have this feel like one piece of film. I think it was amazing the way they were able to accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. Were, were there sections that were more challenging than others to, to achieve that, that sort of unification? Well, I think certainly there were these clearly iconic um, moments, things like the portal yeah. queue. You know, this was one of these cinematic moments where we're going to take our our dear Captain America and we're going to really bring him to his knees and we're going to really feel like all is lost. And then he's going to be redeemed mm. and the fans are going to watch every one of the characters they've loved for 23 films in 11 years, you know, come back battle ready to, to help Cap save the day. I mean, it was a, a huge challenge for everyone. And of course, we knew when all of this was over, we were going to have to say goodbye to Tony Stark. Yeah. And we knew that that was, you know, finding the right tone for that, we knew had to really be done because it's a terribly sad um, event in one way, but it's, it, it's also a celebration of, of our hero. Right. And, you know, so we had to include all of those elements. So it just wasn't this kind of downer moment. It's actually it's the celebration of a hero's life. And hopefully that's what we achieve there. Yeah, absolutely. I think you do. And can you kind of bring me inside your process a little bit of, for instance, with that ending with the funeral scene, which is uh, just a, a beautiful, somber moment that that's still celebratory, like you said. Can you tell, take me inside your process of how you started to, how did you approach that scene? Where did you kind of begin with that? Well, you know, the way I approached it was I stayed away from it mm. um, for a long time. And the interesting thing was I started the film at the very beginning which was the scene where Tony's um, recording that message for Pepper. Yeah. And when that message is finished, he turns off the, the, the device and the helmet, and he stands up, and 
what's really happening there is he said his goodbye to his girl and he's going to die now and he's preparing to die. I think he stands up. He may have put his jacket on and then he lies down to die and working through that sequence um, in sequence. Um, I came up with this very simple um, motif that played through Tony lying there mm -hmm. and through Nebula walking in and placing him in the captain's chair. Um, it was very ceremonial, and there were almost no sound effects there. Mm. It was really just music, but it was a theme. And when I came upon that, I knew immediately that when I did dare face the funeral, I knew that it was going to be based on this material. And that was actually a wonderful thing to have discovered um, because there was something that I knew was going to be terrifying about the funeral. Mm -hmm. It was long. It was, again, this iconic moment with all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe celebrating Tony's life mm -hmm. and, and there for his death. And, you know, to just think about that was daunting. So I, uh, I, I addressed it and faced it much further along in the process after I had a, a sense of where I was and what needed to happen. Yeah. And and moving on after the funeral, uh, you know, the film does give us something that, that Marvel films rarely do, which is an actual conclusion. You know, of course, we know the universe is continuing, but this film gives us what feels like a real end. And and how did you how did you approach the end like that with your with your score? Well, you know, um, again, Kevin, Joe and Anthony had talked to me conceptually about the end of the film. And they they said it's going to have some some beats or some parts to it. We were going to um, we were going to um, revisit all of these characters who have come uh, and who are now part of the Avenger team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is Doctor Strange and, and all of these amazing characters. And they said, and then we are going to have a second part of this where we are going to say goodbye to the original Avengers. Mm. So this was Captain America, Hawkeye, Black Widow, Thor, and, and ending with Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, it was a challenging idea, and we wound up just building this. And it was also amazing the way they constructed the film to have that scene with with Cap, where he hands off the shield. Um, it was a great way to, to have a, a sense of, of the transition for the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and to see that life was going to go on, but it was going to be different. Mm -hmm. And as you approach a, a massive project like this, what's your favorite step in the process? You mean other than finishing it? <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> well, it, you know, it, it's like there are always, I, I, I say there's a, there, there's a famous joke about boat owners. There are two great days in a boat owner's life. The day he buys a boat, the day he sells it. <laughs> right. Well, for, for me, the day that I'm invited to join the team is a spectacular day. Mm. And the day I finish is a, a spectacular <laughs> day. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. Um, physical work in this case, it was so much music. And it had to go through so many worlds of tone, mm -hmm. and it all had to be right. So, um, so you know, I just kind of ultimately um, have a game plan, which is, okay, we're going to get up every morning, we're going to have a cup of coffee, and we're going to go sit in the room, because mm -hmm. that's all we can physically do. And we're going to leave at whatever time at the end of the day, because we know that our brain's going to be mush hmm. after a whole day. And, and that's all we can do. We can do it seven days a week, and we can do it for month after month after month. But it's all we can do. And that's kind of how I get through the process. It's, it's on a daily basis like that. Awesome. Throughout the film, like we talked about, it's a time travel film. And a couple different times, uh, characters reference Back to the Future. And so were you ever tempted to try to throw in, you know, a Back to the Future cue or anything like that? Throw a little reference in there? No, um, <laughs> not, not anything that direct, um, because I think that would have been just over the top. Sure. Um, of course, it was very different in Ready Player One. Right. Because that, that was a film where Mr. Spielberg was really looking for direct references for all these iconic films. But, but there was still an opportunity um, to, to add maybe what might be considered a little Easter egg, even if it's as simple as the sound of a snare drum mm. um, or a snare drum with the snares off that might in the most subtle way kind of, um, you know, let us know that we're thinking about it. I mean, clearly the writers and filmmakers um, made their Back to the Future references, mm -hmm. and they were very clear, and they were great references. And so, um, you know, very, very subtly, there might have been the sound of a drum in there somewhere. Right. Right. Uh, fi final question for you before I let you go. Um, I, I just want to know what's inspiring you creatively right now, whether it's it's music, movies, art, anything like that. Just what's what's uh, filling you up? Well, <clears throat> I actually like my job. <laughs> so I'm working now on my next film with Bob Zemeckis. I think it's our 23rd film together. Wow. Um, and that's inspiring. Just to be around a filmmaker like that is inspiring. And um, I love the technological side of my work, and that is a never-ending process to stay current with the, the best developments in the notation world, hmm. the best developments in the digital audio workstation world, um, and all of that. And then I continue to love music, mm. and I am back listening to Brahms and to Haydn these mm. days. 
and I could live 90 lifetimes and never even begin to to listen to and be inspired by what these great uh, composers have done. So mm. there's lots to be inspired by. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was an amazing conversation. Thanks so much, and, and, uh, and congrats on this great film. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure for me. Thanos did exactly what he said he was going to do. He wiped out 50% of all living creatures. We lost, all of us. We lost friends, we lost family. We lost a part of ourselves. This is the fight of our lives. This is gonna work, Steve. I know it is. Because I don't know what I'm gonna do if it doesn't. Hi, Dan. Hey, hello. Hi, yeah, this is Will with Next Best Picture. I'm excited to talk to you about Avengers. Awesome. Sounds like fun. All right. So, obviously, you know, this was kind of the culmination of years and years of Marvel work. What made what you guys did for Endgame especially unique in the scheme of the MCU? I think it was something that, you know, you know, we kind of the responsibility and, and kind of the fun of, of kind of, you know, bringing everything together. You know, it's something that, you know, we shot Infinity War and, and Endgame at the same time. So it was something that, you know, gave everybody, you know, from the Russos and the writers, um, kind of the ability to kind of, you know, lead up into something special, right? You know, you just weren't kind of taking the very last movie. You got two movies to kind of to bring the the whole, you know, bring the whole, you know, basically land the plane. And so it gave you the ability to, you know, with Infinity War, bring all the characters together and, and set it up in a way that you put those characters in jeopardy in, in, its, in its own film, in, its, in a standalone film. And then to kind of pay off, you know, the, the Avengers that you've known and loved, you know, from the very beginning, and then kind of, you know, have them basically save the entire entire MCU. So it was something that, you know, it was really kind of this unique unique thing, just because of the, the nature of the of the entire, you know, kind of the shared universe, and also the ability to tell the story across two movies. So I know the big kind of centerpiece of you guys' Oscar campaign for Infinity War was. Thanos. I mean, here it's more about the scale, but what would you say is kind of the, other than bringing everything together and landing the plane, the really, wow, this was incredibly difficult and complex that you guys had to do kind of for the first time here with Endgame? Well, I think with Endgame, it was, you know, we, early on, we, you know, we knew we had Smart Hole. Smart Hole was a character that we were going to develop, and you know, we had taken a lot of things that we had done with Thanos and, and kind of incorporate that into that into a Smart Hulk uh, to kind of bring that character to life. But then, you know, exactly as you said, it's something that you know we've you know it becomes certainly it becomes scale. You know, it becomes the question of you know how many shots you know and that you're working on, and then just the the sheer amount of of kind of spectacle that you can place into them. And so it's you know you're you're coming off of 
Infinity War, you know, Endgame, you know, combined, there were about, you know, over 5,000 shots between the two films. But, you know, you're getting into the, uh, you're getting into the end, into the finale, and, you know, you're basically incorporating every character that you, you pretty much ever had in the MCU in, in a completely digital environment. Um, you know, digital explosions, digital water, digital ships exploding, you know, down the ship, crashing into the river. Um, you know, kind of, you know, full on battle between thousands of different characters, you know, and you're basically photographing the entire, the entire battle on two stages that are, you know, probably, I think they're like maybe 80 by like 140 foot stages, you know, and all we had on the ground was, was basically dirt. Recreating everything else around that, and you know, kind of realizing the, you know, kind of the different layers and tone of the battle, and seeing with like kind of the armies and the portals opening up, and then you know, seeing through the portals into you know, completely digital environments out the other side. So, and then balancing all that out, you know, into this kind of you know, giant film, you know, this giant third act with all those characters coming together. So, since you mentioned that pretty much everything was CGI in that final battle since you shot these on relatively small stages. What else in the film would surprise people to learn was completely a creation of the post team? Well, coming into it, there's, it's, there's a lot of the invisible effects. It's one of those things where we, because we shot the two films together, uh, we, were, you know, we, we shot as much as we could on Endgame. And then came back, and you know, we basically we had to stop on Infinity War, and then you know, stop filming the two films, finish Infinity War, and come back and finish Endgame. Right, right. And so we, we had quite a bit of things we had to come back to. But when we came back, a lot of the sets were no longer there. So you know, there's portions of you know in the beginning with Thanos' shirt, where you see you know when the Avengers first attack Thanos, and so that had existed as part of what the at the um, from Infinity War forward, but portions of that are completely CG because only half of it was reconstructed. Um, you know, portions of the sewers in the, at the you know where the Outriders are attacking Hawkeye; those are all CG. Um, you know, kind of going in, and you know, there's some scenes where the uh, the Tony's car, you know, the the Audi we shot with, you know, was kind of the, the next year's model and hadn't been quite designed yet, so we made that CG. Um, you know, just kind of those type of visual visual shots throughout, and then through all of the you know, the Avengers compound, it, it kind of you know it's changed over the films, but it's been uh, you know principally it's a location in Georgia where they actually construct cranes, and so you know, a lot of the Exteriors of that were all CG that were recreated um, to kind of kind of make the Avengers compound you know, before and after you know kind of exteriors live as as the compound we've known from other movies and then kind of the destructive compound that was uh, created later on um, on the stage um, you know the shot that everybody always thinks it is a CG shot though there's some effects in it is kind of the Tony's funeral scene with all the actors and. You know, that's, you know, that's rocket and root in it, but, you know, we actually got everybody there that day to shoot that shot. So it's kind of funny. Everybody thinks that one's, that's the visual, the big, the big hidden visual effect. <laughs> and that's actually, we actually shot it. <laughs> that's wild. I cannot imagine getting logistically all that together. What about some of the aging effects? Because I know there's been a lot of de-aging, but I imagine aging Chris Evans and, you know, someone who's that handsome and young making them look like an 80-year-old man was 
pretty diff and making it look convincing was pretty difficult. Could you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you know, aging a character is always interesting. It's like when you when you de-age them, you know, generally there's there's reference that you can go back to and, and look to see what they look like when they were younger. You know, there's the there's a little snippet of of Hank Pym with Michael Douglas right. that you come through, and as we we're planning for it, we're like, okay, do you want Romancing the Stone, Michael Douglas, or do you want <laughs> you know Streets of San Francisco, Michael Douglas? You know, and then there's, you know he sort of says his entire career like the imagery you can go to and. And the researchers research were like, we want, you know, Streets of San Francisco, Michael Douglas. It's like, okay, so you can, you know, pull, pull all that reference. But when you're aging someone, you know, you're, you're kind of using rules, you know, kind of the idea of what, you know, okay, you know, we know what happens to a person's face as you age them. And, and kind of the trickier parts of it is that everybody has a kind of a preconceived notion of what, you know, someone will look like based on their experiences with members of their own family. So it's, it's so you always kind of get these, Different opinion. You have kind of the science and kind of the techniques, the art, artistry that makes the science of what it should be, and then you have everyone else's opinion. So we'll go through and we'll we'll do artwork ahead of time and kind of get a feeling for what the character should be. And, and then when you get into the photography of it, what we like to do is that instead of making a, a fully CG version of the character, it's like you you really want to have the the character's performance comes through. You want Chris Evans to be going to be able to feel Chris Evans in the performance. And so we'll we'll photograph Chris. You know, we use a little bit of makeup for the the area around the neck and a little bit of makeup around the eyes. But what you're able to do is we, we take and shoot that with a digital double. I'm sorry, it's back up, sorry. <laughs> so we, we shoot that with a a old age double. Mm-hmm. And so we actually have an, an older actor uh, make, doing the same performance that Chris did to the best of their ability, right? So we were able to, you know, then they take Chris and then we take the, the performance from the old age double, we'll scan them and, you know, do photo textures of them. But we're able to take their kind of the, the wrinkles on their face and their, and the age spots on their face and then basically transfer that onto the actor. So it's a way of kind of digitally grafting and kind of baking, you know, digital makeup over the top of Chris's performance. And yeah, it's done in a company named, named Bola. And so what you're what you're getting is you're actually getting Chris Evans' performance, you know, not acting through any kind of appliances or, or heavy makeup or anything like that, you know, other than what we did to kind of give, use the best of both technologies. But you're actually able to actually see Chris Evans drive the performance so you're not really kind of you're not getting this layer of kind of cg in between right and i think that's what kind of makes that very special because you, you, you kind of when you watch the movie with an audience and you, and you know the people you're kind of close behind them and you kind of think okay that's cap and maybe that's not cap and then you, know, you actually see you know when the audience you see the first shot and you, you can kind of feel the kind of the, the air go out of the room a little bit because everybody's like oh my god you know yeah. it's, it's, it's he's old but then it's like and then when chris as soon as chris smiles and you have that Chris Evans smile of Captain America you see it in all the other movies, you know, you're instantly, you know, you're with a friend again. And because yeah. it's actually him performing it, you're, you're not taken out of the scene. So uh, the other big transformation in the movie, and I, I assume you'll tell me it was mainly the prosthetics and makeup team, but uh, were you involved at all in uh, making a very different Chris Hemsworth for us? Yes, yes. So the, the, the team at Legacy, so it was something that, you know, shoots like that, you know, we know, we've seen those 
be very successful in other films. They're very like, okay, so working with the, our, our friends with Legacy, and they've been they've been working on this on the show since like the first Iron Man, right? Like in the Iron Man armor, and so they came in, and and so again, this is kind of using the best the best of both worlds, you know. If you keep quoting, keep quoting Hulk, right? But the best of both worlds, it's like because they they worked on a suit, and, and kind of for them, some of the you know, kind of where the scenes come together, it's kind of harder for them. So what they did is they did this amazing suit that Chris, Chris Hemsworth in, and you see him on set the first day, it was like the craziest thing you've ever seen. And so that was all practical, but when he turned around, you could see, like, the scene, because he was shirtless, right? So you'd see the scene and the makeup. So right. visual effects-wise, we just went in and painted those scenes out and then, you know, kind of cleaned it up from there. But, you know, there was some... You know, some things we kind of adjusted some of the second highlights on it, but you know, it was all 100, you know, 100% legacy and essentials in a in a suit, which looked pretty great. So, um, you know, again, you're talking kind of about some of the tactile, practical stuff. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I went to the VFX Bake Off at the uh, for the Academy, and the practical effects supervisor for Guardians jokes that the hardest part of Working on Guardians was finding something to do. Um, oh, Dan, yeah, I was there. <laughs> so, um, yeah. w- were there more practical effects, practical explosions, sets, etc., to work with than in a film like Guardians? And how did those relate to the work here? Uh, well, yeah. So Dan Sudik, we worked with Dan for for many years over the shows, and it's, it's and same thing, same way that with Legacy, it's just kind of finding the best way to accomplish you know accomplish your shot right so dan dan's you know you're kind of the kind of the mad scientist in a way uh where he'll go in and you, know, you kind of ask for a type of effect or get a feel for a type of effect and he'll go off and, and work with it so you know a lot of the you know the, even though we're on stage we still wanted to try to you know blow things up you know part of the fun <laughs> part of visual effects and special effects you can blow stuff blow things up so you couldn't do big fireballs on stage so yeah but a lot of the uh a lot of the missile hits, you know, with mortar blasts on stage, you know, with kind of, you know, different type of, you know, dirt. And, you know, you talk to Dan, it's like, can I get a little bit of fire? It's like, yeah, we get a little bit of fire. So it's a kind of this, this strange <laughs> science of, like, mixing just the right amount of, you know, things in there. It's like, well, can I have a flame? It's like, yeah, it'll be fine. It's like, well, is it safer inside? It's like, yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> so put man next to it. Yeah, yeah, you put them, you know, 10 feet away. If I did this way, you put them 2 feet away. And so, uh... <laughs> So he's got the fun job like that. Oh, he's got the great job, and, and so now, and then, what kind of the extension of his of his um, of his kind of techniques now is he's got these really cool. You know, he's he's basically like you know got like a little you know kind of growing. You know, people now can you know people download you know models at home and they can kind of grow them you know with the extruders. But he's got the ability now to cut you know foam you know, giant foam pieces out of everything. So it's like, you know, he can, you know, he can be built, you know, we, we were using it for Smart Hulk and for Thanos and, and we could, you know, build appliances that they could wear and parched horses that they could wear so when people interacted with them and they could, um, you know, they would actually be touching something that was physically the right size and he built it off of the, of the geometry that the visual effects houses made. And then so one day, you know, we really kind of needed a head and we kind of needed a body, but it was kind of a new tool. And we're like, hey, can we just build a whole fan house? And so for one day, you know, we just kind of sent him the whole bottle. We just, we just grew an entire fan house from 
cutting, you know, <laughs> sheets of foam. Yeah. It's like, hey, there's Santa. That's pretty cool. So, you know, as, as much as work is going on there, there's lots of fun going on as well. What would I laugh most about hearing uh, what something looked like on set? Like, I've seen behind-the-scenes shots where Brolin has, like, a giant stalk coming out of his head. Mm-hmm. With the eyeliner, right? Uh, what, yeah. what would make me laugh most, I think? On the behind the scenes. Oh, make you laugh most? Oh, well, definitely Brolin in the suit. Um, <laughs> we had Ruffalo wearing it as well. Um, you know, cause it, you know, it looks like a, you know, it's like a, it's a kid, like a kid wearing a big, you know, kind of linebacker shoulder patch, you know, <laughs> and, and arms are sticking out the sides. Um, <laughs> if you see the behind the scenes for, you know, there's the kind of like climactic clash at the end after Cap says, you know, Avengers assemble and, and all the heroes are lined up in that shot, and it was the it was kind of a great day because we had all the actors out there for that as well, yeah. and and uh, so the, you know that shot itself, and kind of slowly pushing in on Cap, and he said, you know, Avengers assemble, you know, that shot looks really great. And then if you watch the behind the scenes, they start charging, and then you cut to the kind of the high high wide shot. <laughs> it's it's uh, basically one row of the heroes running across the dirt floor. At five stuntmen and motion capture around it. <laughs> so it goes from this amazing shot of all our favorite actors, and then we're going to attack the stuntmen and the women. So, you know, so then that, then that kind of led into the giant wonder. So it's, you know, when you see the wonder without the pieces in between, you'd start with the shot with like, you know, the you know, 20 heroes and five stuntmen that have been replaced with all the, you know, Thanos' massive army and, and then he cut into, and you kind of swing around, and you go through Black Panther, and and uh, so you've got, you know, you know, Okoye and and Machala and the characters there, and and uh, that that looks pretty good. But then you get to the little little bit where you get um, Drax. You have Dave Bautista's on the back of of Cole Obsidian stabbing him in the back, and <laughs> it's basically Dave hanging off of. He took a big stunt pad and kind of pulled it up <laughs> into a burrito shape, and you've got Dave Batista hanging on the side of that, stabbing it with plastic knife. <laughs> and so, uh, went to the movie, and then eventually you'll replace this, you know, the big stunt pad with, uh, like, with Cole, and then you've got, uh, Corbin Meek, you know, kind of attacking it on the other side. So, that's one of the more funny behind the scenes. So, for sure. basically, the actors, I should be a lot more impressed that they're able to keep a straight face through all this. Yeah, they're pretty great. I mean, we'll, we'll have the previews. We can show them and, and kind of get a feel for it. But, yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they, they've been through enough movies now with this stuff that they're used to our crazy, crazy, crazy ideas. Well, <laughs> so I can explain to them, it's like, I know this is crazy. I know this is crazy right now, but when it's done, then like, it's like, <laughs> great. Well, I think i got to let you go soon. So I had two more quick questions. First off, if sure. you had to tell the uh, Academy VFX branch, one reason that they should vote for you uh, and for this film, what would you say? I think it's, you know, we're, wow, that's a, that's a good one. i got to kind of work on that some more, too, for when I present it to the Academy. But right now, I think it's, you know, again, I think it's a, it's a question of the scale, right? I think it's the, the complexity of the show, you know, what we kind of push the boundaries on for Smart Hulk and, and where we push the boundaries in terms of what we were doing in the final battle. Because it's not just... You know, the final battle itself is not just the idea of just, you know, expanding digital armies, right? It's, it's the kind of the, 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 the creation of the entire environments, you know, the planning of the entire environments and, and kind of the, the hidden effects too, where you're, you're looking at, you know, 
aside from the armies, you've got all the big sims and the big water sims and the fire sims and, and you know, going all the way to the end with, you know, when Tony is kind of dying there at the end is, you know, all the damage that was done to his face, Robert shot that with no makeup whatsoever. So all, wow. all the blood and then the charring on his face, that was added as well. So, you know, it just it exists in a place where you have, you know, amazing scale in terms of you know, the, the shot that you are recognized as visual effects and if, that you can only do with visual effects. And then you have a lot of those invisible shots mixed in at the same time, which I think is kind of a, a pretty great, you know, total package in terms of, of kind of all the disciplines of visual effects and special effects uh, going into a film. Yeah, well, I can't, at least so far, I can't think of any more visually impressive movie on the the digital end I've seen this year. So a job well done. Um, last Welcome. question. Thanks. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's something that's like, it's, you know, it's one of those things I was going to say, it's like you can't, you know, you go through the different films and you kind of kind of graduate your way up to kind of like your, you know, this, I started on Winter Soldier, that was like the bachelor's degree and Civil War is kind of the <laughs> master's and, you know, then you kind of, you know, go through your, your doctorate on these two films and just in terms of, you know, not being able to, you know, do one movie unless you did the movie before. And so it's like, you know, you just kind of, you know, Infinity Awards, like, you know, it was literally a question, how do we, how do we top it, right? You kind of deal with a lot of the story, you know, the complexity of the story and the inter- interactions between the characters. And then, you know, just kind of turning us loose on the final battle and, and then having fun in ways of like bringing them back to the portal opening. It's like, it's kind of this really great place to be in visual effects where you can kind of, Tell stories with spectacle and, and 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 fights, but then also be in a place where you can, you know, elicit some of the emotions that go along with it, you know. And so, you know, kind of working through it and working with previs and finding just the right way to bring everybody back in the portals. It was, you know, kind of this phenomenon. I think really, I mean, we could, you know, we kind of had a notion, you know, I had a notion when we were working on the previs where it was going to you know, this should work, you know, and then, you know, Jeff Ford or editor would cut it and everybody saw it and kind of had a feeling, you know, everybody's like, okay, there's this, you know, when, when all the heroes disappeared at the end of Infinity War, you know, there needed to be this catharsis for everybody to come back and, and so, you know, that needed to happen. And then mm-hmm. going into this, it's like, you know, by the time we're done, it's like, Captain America is going to pick a millionaire. It's like there's one thing that she sees in this movie is that Cap's going to get millionaire and, and uh, you know, bash Thanos around with it. And so you're kind of, okay, that has to happen. We're going to do this to work. And, and just kind of all these moments. And then, you know, seeing it with the real audience on opening weekend and just the, the, the way it all landed was just kind of, you know, one of the most rewarding experiences. Did you cry? Experiences I think I've ever had in my business. Um, I cried. I always would cry. The portals. So there was a there was a night we were shooting, and we had kind of blocked out the viz for the portals opening, and we had started getting some footage in, and and we wanted you know we're playing with the idea of it kind of being the slow reveal and kind of bringing everybody back because you know the idea was to go around the horn, you know because for us it was an interesting thing where it was like you know we had been working on the film you know consistently right so we always knew people were going to come back. And we had the idea that, you know, I'm saying it's like it's, you know, with with everybody else, they hadn't seen that, right? They, right. People, you know, people didn't know, you know, effectively, they thought we, you know, it was serious and we weren't going to bring people back. And, you know, so we, so Jeff called me, we shot, we shot a bunch of plates and he had cut it and called me over after shooting that day. And he said, okay, sit down, turn down the lights. And 
you know, it had Tim Track on it, and you know, the effects weren't done, and they're kind of half in there. And he played it for me for the first time with the portals opening, and it just like, you know, I just started getting a tear in my eye, right? Just knowing what was going to happen, but just seeing it, just even in its roughest form, you know, I started tearing up a little bit, which is pretty great. Man. And then Tom Holland at the end. Tom Holland. Tom Holland always gets me. So when Tom like, disappeared <laughs> at the end of Infinity War, the no effects on it, I might start crying. And then you like, see the rough cut, like you know, Tom losing Tony. <laughs> it's like, oh, there I go again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you echo probably uh, two thirds of Twitter, so there's no shame in that. Um, the, <laughs> the last, the last thing I want to ask is if this was like your PhD program. Uh, what's next? What's, what is going to be you being a full-blown professor? Uh, well, now I'm directing second unit on uh, internals. So I'm getting to play with the, and doing a lot of the kind of the action sequences on internals now. So I'm kind of kind of branching out and you know, exploring other options now. And kind of well, that is so cool. What I can, you know, basically I'm getting a trying to get a, a doctorate and another 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 major. <laughs> I'm double majoring now. So you're taking the anti circus route, right? So is uh, is directing the yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll do the second, and then you know, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Like, like you're fortunate. We'll see where it goes after that. But that's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. Chloe, Chloe Zhao is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's really, it's a lot of fun. It's really great. That is fantastic, man. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to talk with me. Awesome. Thank you very much. Absolutely. You enjoy yourself, okay? Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with Alan Silvestri and Will Mavity's interview with visual effects supervisor Dan DeLeo, both talking about Avengers Endgame, the year's biggest film, currently up for Oscar consideration in all categories, including best visual effects, best original score, and of course, best picture. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you could lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Right.